Okay, gentlemen, let's get started over here. Oh, the tzaddikim are here, we can get started. We're going to discuss tonight, first of all, before we start, I want to say, I'm dedicating the class tonight. Sit, please, Yosef, please join us. I want to dedicate the class tonight. You can sit here. You'll hear me better. You sit here. I'm de- let me dedicate the class tonight in honor of my brother. This past week was his birthday, and I did a calculation, actually, very interesting. He turned 32. Now, 32 is significant. Why? Lev. It also is the Gematria Lev, Hart, which is my brother, my brother's birthday. But hear this, hear this. You're going to appreciate this. 32 means it's 19 years since his bar mitzvah. 19 years is important because, I don't know if this always works, but very often if you go back 19 years, the dates line up perfectly with how it was 19 years before. So this year, actually, it's the same formulation of his bar mitzvah parashah. His birthday is, the English and Hebrew correlates exactly to the way it was 19 years ago at his bar mitzvah. And it was also, it was the same exact formulation of parashiyot that we have this week. So I want to dedicate this week's, this week's shiur, my brother, my brother, my brother. This week's shiur, honor my brother, my brother taught me I'm not going to say everything I know because I have Baruch Hashem, fantastic parents. They taught me a lot and he continues to teach me. And Zat Hashem, this uh, class should be dedicated in his honor as well. So let's get started, Yechevi. I want to introduce the class with a little bit of a brief introduction. If you look around the world, I'm going to discuss a little bit of a hot button issue tonight. If you look around the world, and there's very often extremely varying perspectives, even in one generation extremely diverse, polar opposite perspectives. But then you look throughout the course of history, and what you notice very often is there's this pendulum that swings back and forth. Right? In one generation, they'll say, X is the way things should be done. The next generation will go against that and swing towards the opposite extreme. And this goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And why is that? Mayor, come. Mayor, come sit, please. Why is that? Because if you don't have a Torah, if you don't have a perfect body of wisdom, that is God's wisdom, that He gives you, essentially everything is man-made. Everything is arbitrary. Therefore, however we feel in our generation, that will become what's called emet. That will become what's called truth, what's reality. We don't work that way. We don't work that way. We have Torah that guides us on every subject, in every situation, somewhere. Either it's in a Gemara, or it's in the Halakha, or it's in Tanakh, or it's in Ashkafa, or it's in Musar. It's somewhere. You just have to know where to look. So you go to the rabbi, figure that out. But what happens is, we don't, there's no arbitrariness. There's no randomness. There's no changing of perspectives in that nature. There's truth, and that's truth in every generation. The application might be different, right? A thousand years ago, they didn't have electricity. So there was no discussion about electricity, but there was a discussion about the principles that guide our understanding of electricity in today's generation. The principles, the ideas are emet, and those last throughout every generation, and that never changes. The Goyim, they don't have the Torah. Unfortunately, for us, we're so lucky. They don't have that. So for them, it's all arbitrary how each generation feels. Even in one generation, you have polar opposite opinions. Everything is arbitrary. But for Torah, the same thing every generation. Now, some people are going to say we're archaic and we're backwards. But I want to speak tonight about a particular issue that comes out from the parasha. comes out from the story of Pesach. We're getting close. Within 30 days, we're going to discuss one of the themes of Pesach. 
and this is something I think there's very practical ramifications today, one of the particular issues that, that's occurring in today's generation. So let's get started. <clears throat> when you look in Parashat Vayakel Pekudei, a lot of it seems to be repetition. What do I mean by that? You see in Parashat Terumat Tzaveh, Really, what is that? It's the command to gather the money. It's the command to build the kelim, etc. By Akel Pekudei is the action. Very good, Yosef. Thank you. It's the action. What do I mean by that? It's the action. I mean that the the parashiot now talk about what happened. That they gathered everything. They calculated the totals of everything. They put all of that together to formulate the kelim and the mishkan. This is the conclusion of Sefer Shemot, but also it is the conclusion of Melechet HaMishkan. And Vayikra is already going to be the introduction to functioning using the mishkan. That's already the next Sefer, God willing, next week. You go through, and it's a perfect calculation, it goes through how, where the gold was used for, how much gold there was, silver, cop, everything is calculated nicely, what it's used for, how much there was. And then, if you look, the, towards the end of Parashat Vayakyo, the first parasha we're going to read this Shabbat, it's Perek Lamed Chet, it tells us about the building of the Kiyor. And what is the Kiyor? The washing basin. It was a washing station, you could call it, held water, and the Kohanim would wash their hands and feet when they would go in to do service uh, in the Beit HaMikdash or in the Mishkan. Pasuk tells us, Vayas et nechoshet, they made the kior, this washing basin in the Mishkan, out of nechoshet, which is nechoshet is copper. You know, copper, it's a type of metal. Ve'et kano nechoshet, they made the base of the basin the washing basin out of copper. Bimar, now these words are very vague. Bimar ot ot, with the mirrors of the women who gathered, asher tzabu petach ohel moed, who gathered at the entrance of the ohel moed, of the mishkan. Now it's very vague. What are we talking about? They made the kiyor, the washing basin, out of the mirrors of the women who gathered at the entrance of the ohel moed. So Targum, Uncle comes and tells us, it's the woman who prayed at the entrance of the Oel Moed. But again, that doesn't really tell us who these people were and what the nature of these mirrors were. So it comes along Rashi, and he tells us based on a Gemara and Sota. I'm going to show you, Rashi tells us half of the Gemara, and we'll see the Gemara inside to see the full story. There's a background here. Who were these women that they used their mirrors to make this kior, this washing basin? Says Rashi, the Jewish girls had mirrors that they used to use to beautify themselves with. Meaning they would put their makeup using the mirrors. And Rashi says, they even wanted to donate those mirrors for the construction of the Mishkan. But Moshe Rabbeinu initially said, I don't want to accept it. Why not? Because those mirrors are used for Yetzer Ara. They're used for beautification that's not necessarily associated with Kedushah. So Moshe Rabbeinu was mo'es bohem, Rashi says. He did not want to accept them. He disgusted in them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu came to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen to this, unbelievable. And he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, those mirrors that they want to donate is more beloved to me than everything else in the Mishkan. And everything else, all the trillions of dollars of gold and silver and copper and blue wool and purple wool and it, silk, whatever it was, everything else is less significant. These mirrors are the most significant. What, what's up? What is that? What's with the shot? Continues Rashi. He says, because there's a history with these mirrors. What was the history of these mirrors? Listen to Rashi. 
in Mitzrayim, as we're going to see, the Gemara and Sota tells us the Mitzrayim caused the Jews to suffer immensely. Rashi tells us, I mean, these two shitot, what it means, avodat perech, they caused them to have back-breaking labor. So one shot is they actually, they, they was, it was forced labor in a very extreme way, and it was uh, extremely punishing. But there's another shot in the Gemara. It says they switched the work of the men and the women. What does that mean? They made the women do the work that was traditionally for men, and they made the Jewish men do work that was traditionally for women. And in this way, they exhausted both of them. Because when you're doing work that you're not accustomed to, it's exhausting. Fine. What happened? Says Rashi. Rashi saying, I'm not saying any of this. Rashi says, what ended up happening? What ended up happening is, oh, welcome back. Wow, Shalom Aleichem. Great to see you. Thanks for bringing the sushi in. Thanks for bringing yourself in. Wow. I got on the plane. I got on the plane. Great to see you, man. The men, the Jewish men, were beaten down and literally broken, says Rashi. They were so broken, get We're going to get back, really, for Vishalach, it's the end of it. The beginning is for Nogia for this week's parasha. You'll see why it ties in. What did the women do? The women were not broken. The women did not give up. But what did they do? They went out of their way to re-energize the men. What did they do? Rashi tells us, a beautiful Rashi. They went and got, the Gemara and Sota goes through, how they went and they drew water and they took fish and they brought it out to the fields to their husbands. And it doesn't say they gave them food, it says they fed them. They gave them food and drink and fed them. They anointed them. They were able to regenerate them. And then they took out these mirrors, again, these mirrors that we're discussing here, and they looked in the mirror with their husbands and they said to their husbands, I'm more beautiful than you. That's an interesting thing, trying to seduce their husbands. And in, through this entire process, they were able to re-energize their husbands, to revital. what's the word, to re uh, give them energy again that they would have ta'ava for their wives and then the husbands would have relations with their wives and it was all because the women went out of their way to do this that the Jewish people continued to reproduce without the women's involvement here there wouldn't have been children to leave Mitzrayim the Jewish people would have ceased to continue they would have stopped there wouldn't have been because the husbands were so beaten so the women went out of their way in order to re-energize their husbands to revite I don't know the word is to give their husbands vitality to reawake their normal desires that was so beaten out of them and through those mirrors they caused tremendous generations of Jews to be born and Rashi concludes that's why they were so beloved these mirrors to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he said Yetzirah this is something you should accept and this is more beloved than anything else and Rashi concludes two points Rashi says firstly we find that these mirrors what were they used for? The kior. Why were they used for this washing basin? Because where, what else would they use the washing basin for? They would take waters from the washing basin in order, if there was a sota, a woman who was suspected of adultery, they would take water and she would drink it. If she really was mizaneh, she cheated on her husband, she died. If not, she would go back to her husband. So the waters come from the source that the women in Mitzrayim created peace and motivated their husbands to continue to send a message to the sota. This is the right approach to be with your husband encouraging him not going off with somebody else to recreate peace between inshallah ba'ala a woman and her husband that's Rashi and then he finishes off but fine the last point Rashi says is this is copper that is unique not the other donations of copper this is specific copper from those mirrors used for the kior for the washing basin beautiful Rashi now listen to the conclusion of the Gemara and Sota it says what happened to these children this is not the end of the story listen to the end of the story now 
The, the Gemara and Sotan, Yad Aleph Mudbet, tells us the, conclu- the continuum of that story. After they would become pregnant from their husbands, after giving them new energy, we went over this parashat Yishara, very good, David. Somebody remembers here. It's good. So, it says they would give birth. Now, the problem was, they're giving birth, the Mitzrayim are not happy with the birth of new Jewish children. They're trying to kill all the Jewish children. So, what ended up happening is, they would have to go out to the fields and give birth in a private place where the Mitzrayim wouldn't be, so these children would survive. And the Gemara and Sotah tells us an unbelievable miracles that would happen. These children would be born in the field without a midwife, without a nurse, without a doctor, without any OBGYN there to help. Nothing, nothing to talk about. And Hashem would send heavenly angels to assist these women in the birth, in taking care of those children moving forward. And then the Mitzrayim would catch wind of what happened and they would send out plows to, to, to sorry, they would send out Mitzrayim to go and kill those children. And what would happen is a miracle would happen. Those children would become absorbed in the ground. And the Mitzrayim would say, you know what, if they're absorbed in the ground, we're going to plow over that area and kill them. They would plow over that area and when they would eventually leave, the Mitzrayim would come out I think Mayor's sitting here. Sit over there. Sit over there. The Mitzrayim would come and plow over. No, Mayor's sitting here. Mayor's sitting here. Mayor's sitting here. That's there. So they would plow over that area trying to kill those Jews. They would leave and the Jewish children would emerge. And the Gemara finishes off with a beautiful idea. It says, by the miracle of Ayam at the sea, when the Jewish people see God in His glory, the Jewish people say, Remember that. This is my God and I will glorify Him. Who said that? Those Jewish children who were assisted and cared for and lived essentially because of Hashem's direct involvement in them in the fields of Egypt, far out. They were the ones who said, This is my God, I recognize Him because He took care of me directly when I was far in the fields and there was no one else to take care of me. This is my God and I will glorify glorify Him. That's how the Gemara finishes off. Beautiful Gemara. Let me ask you a question. What comes out from this story, which is an unbelievable thing, what comes out from the story is if you look at this well, the Jewish men were broken. The Jewish men would have given up on having kids. They were, they were just doing labor in Mitzrayim and they had no drive to even be with their wives. They were totally overwhelmed and destroyed. The women, not so much. The women, not only were they not personally destroyed in that way, but on top of that, they went out and they motivated their husbands to continue on, to not be overwhelmed, to move on and have children and continue reproducing because there was going to be Geulah. What is the pshat? The women were also suffering immensely. I just mentioned, the Gemara tells us, they switched men and women's labor. Understand what that means? Just to, to put that into perspective for a minute, imagine the men were doing domestic work, so they were home, right? Let's just imagine. The women were out at the construction site. That's difficult. I mean, just as an example, extremely difficult. Why is it that the men particularly were so overwhelmed and the women... Well, they weren't overwhelmed. They were able to persevere. This is clearly saying something very special about women, by the way. But they persevered. And not only did they personally persevere, but they even had it within them to go and inspire their husbands to want to continue on. What is the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim telling us? And the Gemara states, It's in the merit of those women that they merited Geulat Mitzrayim because they were there to motivate their husbands. What was unique about women in this story that they were not broken, not overwhelmed by that whole incident of suffering in Mitzrayim, and the men, on the other hand, were completely destroyed? What did the women find within them? What is unique to women? Let's say the question like that, that they persevered in this instance where the men were totally broken and didn't have the energy to continue on. That's question number one we're going to address tonight. Now, 
<coughs> there is a fascinating Tosafot in Mesechet Megillah and Daftalamud Aleph. I'm going to show you from this Tosafot, this is not a unique instance. Actually, throughout history, there's always been a connection between women and Geula. The women have always been the catalyst, the motivation to be Zochet to Geula, not the men. Not the men. I'm going to show you Tosafot says. The Gemara, the Gemara, beautiful. The Gemara, we just went over it, beautiful. And Avdalid Amud Aleph, the Gemara tells us in Mesechet Megillah, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi teaches, Nashim are also obligated in Mikra Megillah, in reading Megillah, or hearing Megillah, even though it is a mitzvah taseh shazman grama, or the Rabbanan, it's a time-bound mitzvah, and therefore they should be naturally exempt. And the Gemara says, why? She'af hein hayu be'otoanes. Because they were also included in that miracle. Now, Rashi and Tosafot both learn what does it mean women were included in the miracle of Purim? What it means is, is that Haman's Gezerah, to wipe out the Jewish people, was equally pertinent to men and women. They would have wiped out all Jewish people, men, women, and children. Anashim, Nashim, Bitaf, all of the Jewish people. So therefore, when they were saved, they were also included in the miracle of salvation. Therefore, they're also obligated in Mikra Megillah. If anybody wants to get sushi, you're welcome to go, please. Don't, don't hold up for me. That's Rashi and Tosafot. That's what they learned. It means, They were also included in the miracle because they were saved from the destruction that would have occurred to all men, women, and children of the Jewish people. Comes along the Rashbam in Tosafot and he quotes the Rashbam. Tosafot quotes the Rashbam, a different shot altogether. What does it mean? They were also included in the miracle. Says Tosafot, listen to this. Unbelievable. Pirush Rashbam. Ashbam explains, and I'll show you this idea that the women merited Geulah, they brought the Geulah by Mitzrayim, it's not unique. It's throughout history you find this. Listen to this. The main miracle occurred through a woman, which was Esther Amalka. In regards to Purim, who was the catalyst of the miracle to save the Jews? Esther Amalka. Esther married Achashverosh. She said, fast for me and I'm going to go in. Eventually she turned everything around. The Chanukah, he goes further. When it came to Chanukah, we had the Greeks pers per persecuting the Jewish people. Who was the catalyst to save the Jews from Hellenization, intermingling? It was Yehudit, exactly like Tosafot says, Rashbam, al Yede Yehudit. And the Pesach, when it came to Pesach, in the merit of the women of that generation, they were saved. So Tosafot says, it's not unique to Mitzrayim. Every time the Jews needed a salvation in history, the women stepped up, they maintained the faith. They didn't become overwhelmed and give up, although the men did, brackets, they did not. And they were the catalyst to cause the men to continue and ultimately be zochet to geulah. By the way, I'll add one thing Tosafot doesn't say. We find by Egel Azahav the similar idea. The men gave their gold. The men gave their gold. What's that? They didn't give their gold. They said, no, we're not getting involved. And they got a special mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh for this. But you see, there's a certain strength the women displayed, particularly linked into geulah. That's what Tosafot the Rashbam is telling us here. And this leads to my second question. What is this historical connection that we find between women and Geulah? When the men couldn't do it, it's not just by Mitzrayim. They were overwhelmed and broken, and yet the women persevered. They did not let the suffering, which they were also experiencing, get to them. They kept the faith, they persevered, and not only that, they inspired the men to persevere as well. What is the connection between women 
and what is unique to them that they were the ones, the catalysts for Geulah. Question number two. Final question. Final question is based on a Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin, Bet, 80b. The Gemara says something over there that a lot of people who hate Torah, who hate uh, Judaism, like to point at and say, you see, Judaism hates women. You see, Judaism is archaic and backwards. And as I'm going to explain tonight, it's the exact opposite. Literally the exact opposite. The Gemara says over there that Nashim Da'atan Kaloten. What does that mean? Women, literally, if you learn it simply, the pshat is, women's intellect is weak. Now, a lot of people who want to show, you know, Torah is anti-women, it's archaic, it's backwards, it's, you know, the dark ages. They like to say, you see, Judaism degrades women and hates women. We're going to explain tonight that's not the pshat. The question doesn't even start. And when you have the perspective that our great rabbis had, you could explain the Gemara, the exact, not only is it not a negative thing against women, but actually it's explaining the nature of men and women, how they're different, as we're going to get to now. And it's not a negative thing at all, but it's a natural distinction between men and women. So what does it mean? Question three, what does it mean that nashim da'atan kaloten, that women have their da'at, their intellect is kal? Literally, it means weak, you could say, but what does it really mean? What is that really teaching us? So let's recap for a second. Three questions. Question number one. In regards to Geulat Mitzrayim, we find that in the merit of those women, the Jews were redeemed. The men had been broken and given up hope. What was it that the women possessed that caused them to persevere and not give up? And not only that, motivate their husbands to continue as well. Question two. Tosafot tells us in Megillah, that this isn't unique to the Geulat Mitzrayim. Every time there was a redemption, the women were the catalyst of the redemption. They were the ones who persevered and caused the redemption. What is this? What is unique about women in a historical sense that men don't possess? That they're the catalyst for the redemption, ultimately. And finally, what does the Gemara in Kiddushin mean when it says, Nashim da'atan kaloten, that women have literally a weakened intellect. I'm going to change that translation in a minute, but that's what it would sound like. By the way, I want to add to the question, I know many women that are extremely intelligent. If it's just saying women are not intelligent, that's just not true, reality. I know women that are extremely intelligent, far more intelligent than most people I know. So it can't mean that women are not intelligent. That's just not, it's not in reality. That's not true. So what does it mean, Nashim? See what? See what? They can see, like, the future a little bit. Like, they can see the endpoints. They can see through, the, through their, what the future could bring. Um, they have a little bit extra conscious. I don't know what you want to call it. They can see more than the men can see. Right. Men can see right, right, right now. Oh, oh. A little bit more. Beyond. Beautiful. And also, they have the, the, they know that they're the future because they were the children. So they realize that this power that they have is the responsibility that they have to, to take. So through this, it weakens their, not that it doesn't weaken them, it actually makes them feel lighter and about the, the, the That's a great power. point. That's a great point. I'm going to go with the first thing you said more, but it's, yeah. We saw a few other examples as well. Go ahead, what are a few more examples? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Sisra. So it also with On Benfele. On Benfele, his wife saved his life. That's true. That's true. That's right. You're right. Beautiful. Excellent. Those are good examples, too. 
um, but the idea is that it looks like it looks like it's uh, it started from so I want to tell you something oh yeah go ahead What's that? You want to no, say I just want to I just want to add that if the Nashim are the reason for other love, it means that our Gilullah also which is coming is going to be through the Nashim you see yeah so there's two things I want to say before I say what I think the Pshat is based on rabbis and Chazal whenever you set a rule obviously there's exceptions but when you set a rule that means this is the standard this is the norm exactly there's always a klal and yotzeh min whenever you say a rule in general this is the reality of x y and z obviously there's outliers there's exceptions to the principle obviously but that doesn't mean the rule is not true meaning you could define the definition of something despite the fact that there's exceptions to that rule because every rule has exceptions in addition, I want to say one more point, which is just important to note. What I'm sharing tonight, I think, was obvious 100 years ago. Nobody questioned this. We live in a generation with different movements, particularly, that wish to say there's no distinction between men and women. And it goes so far as not only is there no mental, emotional, psychological distinction between men and women, which you can't see literally, but some people even want to say at this point, there's no physical distinction between them. And so, and I'm going to go a little extreme here, but this is what some want to pose, uh, the transgender idea that a man should be able to take a couple of hormones and then swim with the women because it's fair that his testosterone is lowered even though he went underwent male puberty, has larger lung mass, has larger muscles, has more of a... It's ridiculous, utterly ridiculous, but that's, when, that's what I started off the class tonight with. When you don't have clear direction, there's no standard of emet, what's true and real, everything's arbitrary. And you could convince yourself in this generation something that's crazy, that in 20 years now they're going to look back and say, how could they even thought about that? And 20 years ago they would have said it's crazy too. And the pendulum will swing back and forth. This generation will say, this is acceptable, this is the right thing to do. The next generation, it'll continue to swing back and forth. But we, Baruch Hashem, we have the Torah, and the Torah doesn't change. And therefore, what I'd like to share tonight is, just as, and I think it's, I think it's again, the rule. There's exceptions, but the rule. Just as, and I think it's so obvious also. And it's not, this is not my, I'm going to share, tell you who told this idea over. Just as there's obvious physical distinctions between men and women, meaning phys- physically, anatomically, we're built different. It's very fair to assume also Emotionally, psychologically, there are fundamental differences. And I don't like this argument that it's you know only you know put in, uh, infused because of society. It's only built based on societal involvement, etc. It doesn't make sense. Just as physically and anatomically, there are fundamental distinctions between men and women. And by the way, even that, you want to cut off certain parts and pretend you're a woman, or add certain parts and pretend you're a man, ultimately, all you're doing is self-mutilation. That's called self-mutilation. You're still a woman, you're just a mutilated woman, or you're man, etc. But like this. Now, I'm not saying it's not a struggle. I'm not saying they're bad people in the slightest. But in the end of the day, you're not changing a man into a woman. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. Emotionally, psychologically, there also would be natural distinctions between a man and a woman. That's just the reality. I think the Torah and Chazal are actually defining for us fundamental distinctions between men and women. It's not good or bad. It's just a difference in nature. 
And Hashem instilled that in men and in women, just as there's different physical parts to accomplish the tasks they need to accomplish in this world, there's also different emotional natural states in order to accomplish that which or emotional or, fit, or intellectually so psychologically in order to accomplish what they need to accomplish so Rav Arn Feldman wrote a sefer he wrote a book on marriage the name escapes me right now the bird, the river and the kettle something like that I forgot right now but in it, he says the following principle to answer that Gemara and Kiddushin. What does it mean? Nashim da'atan kalot. And afterwards, I found that other people say the same principle. It's an unbelievable thing. And I can attest to it personally, actually. Nashim da'atan kalot means women have the capacity to move quickly between tasks without becoming overwhelmed. That's what it means. What does that mean? The women's at home. Now, I'm going to say something stereotypical, but I think this can illustrate for the greater... I'm not saying, by the way, women want to become lawyers, doctors. They could do that, and they could probably probably be extremely successful. More successful than men, by the way. But what the Torah is telling us, what Chazal are telling us is, there's a natural, psychological, intellectual way that women were created, emotional way that women... that men were not created that way in order to facilitate their missions, perhaps, in this world. Nashim Datan Kalot means that, as opposed to men, let's start with men for a second. Men, naturally, are task-driven. What does it mean, task-driven? I'm focused on one task, and I'm going to try to finish this task. Again, there's exceptions. I want, before everybody jumps, there are exceptions to this rule, but this is the rule. A man, he has a task to accomplish. And I can tell you firsthand, one of the most frustrating things when I'm trying to accomplish one task, I want to go as deep and finish this task as much as I possibly can. When I'm also tasked with multiple things to do at the same time, switching between tasks, in five minutes I'm overwhelmed and I'm exhausted. Because I'm not good at that. Men are not programmed like that emotionally, mentally, psychologically to be able to switch quickly between tasks without getting overwhelmed. Men, task-driven. I have one task to do. After that, I'll do another task. But to switch quickly between tasks, that's not how we're programmed. By the way, and that's something we utilize when we learn. We focus on one subject. We get the depth of that subject. We get the emet, the, the, the truth of that matter. Or in, in, in accomplishing a task, it's the same thing. Women are programmed differently. HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his ultimate wisdom understood in the domestic, I think this is really where it applies, in domestic work, at home, it's a classic example. She's on the phone, she's stirring the pot, she's holding a baby on her hip. To be able to accomplish that without getting exhausted, you have to be focused less on each, per, on each individual task and have the capacity to move between tasks at a quicker rate without getting exhausted. So what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did is he fashioned women nashim Da'atan kalot. Kalot doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean uh, inferior. What it means is, is it's lighter. They have the capacity to switch between tasks without getting overwhelmed by that natural change in between. But men, it's a net, right? It's unbelievable. But men, you put the... I know, when I'm... I try my best. You know what? I wish I'd help my wife more. But I know, when I'm helping with the kids and doing a couple... I get so exhausted so quickly. Women also get exhausted, by the way. Give your wife a break also. But at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu programmed them in that way. They could switch between tasks at, with, e with a certain easier capacity that men are not programmed with. Men want to accomplish this task because they're focused on task at hand, I'll finish this, move on to the next thing. 
but not multiple, not multiple tasks at the same time, switching between them. That's exhausting. Women, on the other hand, nashim da'atan kalot, they have the ability to switch with an easier time between tasks and not get overwhelmed by that. And God programmed women, just as He gave women different body parts, because they have a different purpose in that regard, He also programmed them with different mentalities, different emotional uh, makeup and psychological makeup and intellectual makeup in order to accomplish that as well. They can switch quicker without getting overwhelmed. Now what does that tell me practically? Well, first of all, there's a fundamental distinction between them. People who say men are, women could do whatever men could do, by the way, women are, could be much more intelligent than men. That might be true as well. I know women that are far more intelligent than most people. It has nothing to do with levels of intellect. It has to do with the nature the nature is different, and therefore, they naturally will be able to accomplish certain tasks men will not be able to do with such ease, and vice versa. Now let's take this to Geulat Mitzrayim and the other Geulat. Both men and women are suffering. It's true. Both men and women are suffering because of the, the uh, persecution in Mitzrayim. Like we said, that they would punish, they would give the men women's work, women men's work, it's all true. But men... They're being persecuted in such a way, they're focused on this one task at hand. Right now there's galut, there's persecution, there's shiabud. <clears throat> they don't have the capacity to see beyond, to see the greater picture, the other tasks that really are going to come up very soon. They don't have the capacity to see that. And since they can't accomplish what it is, they can't do this. This is something overwhelming to them. This is not something that they really could accomplish properly. They're just being beaten and struggling every single day. They don't see any light beyond the immediate. They're overwhelmed and they feel destroyed. The women have a greater perspective in this regard. They recognize it's true. The immediate suffrage is terrible. The suffering we're experiencing right now is an awful thing. They have the greater perspective as well because they realize there's a few tasks that are going on over here. There is the immediate galut, but then there's ultimately going to be a great geula that occurs. Because of that lighter perspective, less of a focus on the immediate and a greater focus on the overall picture, the overall scheme of things, they're able to see there's going to be a geula. There's going to be a redemption. And therefore, with that perspective, they're able to maintain the faith that the men are not able to maintain. They're able to maintain becoming not... They don't become broken. They don't become overwhelmed because of the nature that HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed into them. And not only that, but they're able to instill that in their husbands. And like Tosafot says, in every galut, in every suffering, the women did the same thing. Because they don't get as overwhelmed with the immediate task at hand. They're able to maintain that semblance of the greater picture of things. Recognizing, I'm not too focused on the immediate, I can maintain kalot, a greater, lighter perspective of overall what's going on. And therefore, they don't become overwhelmed naturally. Instead, though, although they were suffering just as much, they were suffering, they don't become overwhelmed. Instead, they utilize that great capacity, that great koach that Hashem gave them to remain inspired and go and inspire their husbands as well. It's a fantastic idea. And I think there's many practical applications of this idea. But one thing which Yosef did say, which I think is also a big deal. So we say the future Gula, God willing. How are we going to be zochet to that? Not to become overwhelmed by the immediate. And women are greater at that, actually, in a certain way. That's why they probably have a closer connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in general. And by the way, for those that hate on Torah and say, you see the Gemara denigrates women, it's the exact opposite. The Torah tells us what is women's strong point, just as they're physically different, they're emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually different in nature. Not lower or higher, they have a different calling. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them a different mission. They're just as important to the Jewish nation's continuum. If anything, in this way, they're more important. Because there's this, there's this 
connection that's required for both the man and woman to contribute the things that they need. <clears throat> I want to just finish off with two points, and then I'll, I'll open the floor. Obviously, there's exceptions to this rule, meaning there are some men, perhaps, that have more of that feminine instinct or more of that feminine ability to... Uh, maybe see the greater picture, multitask if you want to call it. And there's some women probably that are more task-driven as well. But this is the standard rule. I wanted to say the practical, and this is really the last point. Well, practically, what does this teach us? And I think this is a huge episode. There are, no, that's a different story. That's not, it's not called a defect. I mean, someone's different. It could be, there's exceptions to the rule. That's okay. People who bishita. They want to believe women are the same exact as men. Some of them will find ultimate satisfaction. They'll become the big CEO. They'll become, you know, wear the pants literally, etc. The problem is, if you're not programmed that way, you can go accomplish great things that a man would feel satisfied about, but you're not a man. So the natural satisfaction you're looking for in life, you won't end up feeling. Meaning, I'm not saying, by the way, women could become lawyers, doctors, etc. But if they do that and they're looking for the satisfaction in what their calling is, the problem is, is very often that might lead to a feeling of emptiness. Because that's not naturally, perhaps, the skill set they're granted by the Torah. And the Torah tells us this is the reality of things. This doesn't change based on generation. You see, mentalities change. Perspectives change when everything's arbitrary. But the Torah doesn't change. I think with this mentality, Bezat Hashem, maybe it'll give us a perspective that a hundred years ago they understood naturally. But today you need to re-emphasize that. Bezat Hashem, it should give us maybe a clarity on certain issues that we're facing in our times. And with that, Bezat Hashem, we will be zocha to the geula, la'atid, Bezat Hashem, b'karov, b'yameinu, amen. Stop here, Chavir. I just want to say, I want to say a couple of things. One, because one,